Welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I will be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, it is finally here. It's draft week. Caleb, there are many significant days in the in the year. You know, there's birthdays, there's there's Christmas, there's Easter, but you know, this is a this is one that's very special to us. It's draft weekend coming up, Caleb. What a time. <laughs> Woo! Caleb, how many years have we well, I mean, how many years was it all four years in college where we watched the draft together or was it really just the last three? I can't remember. Yeah, three because yeah, yeah we, we um I graduated early the one semester, so we may have watched it not quite. I mean, I'm sure we still talked about it obviously yeah. our senior years, but Do you remember whenever that one uh remember one of our roommates was dating a girl and uh we will we will not use names uh for the purpose of not <laughs> wanting to shame but uh, she made fun of us for like being super into the draft. Hey, you got to know who your team's future stars are going to be. Exactly. I mean, Becca, you know, your wife came in clutch to uh, defend our honor for it. So I am, I'm incredibly appreciative for that. Yes, I am. I'm happy it's here. I'm at the point where I'm just ready for it. Mm -hmm. No more mock drafts. Let's get the real draft going. Yeah. Especially because, you know, it, it is such a unique season with, everything that COVID has brought upon us um, from a football standpoint, not even just like your regular life standpoint. And so there's, there's a lot of questions and uh, we'll finally start to get some answers. But before we spend some more time diving into the NFL draft, we do have some news to catch up on uh, both around the college football landscape. And, and we also had some games being played that we want to talk about too. So uh, Caleb, if you're ready, I'm going to go ahead and dive in. Let's go. Yeah, um, I unfortunately want to start with some sad news. I don't know how many people have heard about this, but Central Michigan quarterback John Keller is in serious condition after being shot. John Keller was at an off-campus party uh, when the event happened. It is my understanding that he is not the only person who has been injured, uh, and certainly, you know, they've been they've been saying he is fighting for his life. Uh, we certainly hope that uh, that he comes out on top and victorious. There, it's a uh, it's scary, Caleb. Yeah, I never like to see anything like this. So prayers to John Keller and his family and really the, his whole team. You know, it's been a tough year for everyone. And, you know, having something like this kind of towards the end of this pandemic year is uh, it's, it's got to be a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. So, you know, absolutely all the best to him and his family. Like you said, uh, our prayers are with him. Some some news happening around the league that we want to make sure that we look at as well. The NCAA officially approves the new transfer rule, and so this means student-athletes can now officially transfer one time without having to sit out a season. Caleb, I think we spoke about this earlier uh, in the season, that this is more or less a, a technicality type thing because a lot of the high-profile athletes, uh, you know, you think of guys like Justin Fields and others have been finding – uh, loopholes and and workarounds to you know be able to play immediately, but I think this kind of evens the playing field for uh, all levels of players. I like the rule change, and uh, I think we agree on this one. Yeah, I do too. If uh, coaches can get up and leave anytime they want to, you know, I don't see any reason why, you know, c kids 
this is, you know, one of the few chances in their life, maybe their only chance in their life that they get to decide where they get to play football. You know, if you make it, if you're good enough to make it to the NFL, you're drafted into a place and then you have to make it long enough to earn yourself a second contract. And so you don't always get to choose there. So here you get to choose. And if, you know, some situation doesn't work out, there's, there's, um, I know, medical issues, family issues sometimes that turn up, coaching issues. You know, a lot of these guys go there for the coach more so than even, you know, the location or some of these other things. So, you know, I think it's not a bad re- bad reason. And, you know, I think – I don't think it's going to really change – too many things, you know, Alabama is probably going to get a few more transfers in, you know, but they're probably going to lose some transfers too from this rule for kids that were promised playing time, but aren't getting it as soon as they hope to at schools like Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state. So I think the big schools are going to lose players, but equally gain players as well. So I don't think it's going to really change the landscape of, you know, the hierarchy of anything like that. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, another thing that you and I agree on is that there's really no better overtime than college football overtime. And so whenever the uh, rules were were made to college football overtime, the, the rule changes. I have to admit I was disappointed, and I'm curious on your thoughts as well. Uh, just to help the listeners out here, a couple of new rules. Teams must attempt a two-point conversion after a touchdown in second overtime. Previously, that was third overtime. Uh, and then teams will only try two-point conversions back and forth, uh, starting with third overtime now. Caleb, I, I get it that they're trying to shorten the game, but uh, I loved watching the duels of, of the offenses and the defenses in these must-score touchdowns type of situations. And so the fact that uh, it's going to be ending a little bit sooner, uh, it's a bummer for me. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. You don't want to keep these games going on and on. But how often do we see this? I mean, they're doing, I think, a similar thing here in baseball. And the extra innings now in baseball, you start with the runner on second base, beginning with the 10th inning. So they're doing the same thing in baseball. And it's like, how many times do you see the games go to 15, 18 innings? How many times in college football do you see a game go to five, six, seven overtimes? And when you do, you know, everyone starts turning on that game, that LSU-Texas A&M game a few years ago double overtime before Joe Burrow, before everyone knew who Joe Burrow was. He was out there tossing, you know, seven touchdown passes or whatever it was against Kellen Mond. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it's something that if you're at the game, you know, you get to say, I was at that seven overtime game. And, you know, now that's less likely to happen. And if it does happen, it's going to be because just a bunch of two-point conversion attempts, not because teams are going back and forth, scoring touchdown, matching touchdowns and matching field goals or anything like that. Yeah, 100%. And so um, we'll see. We'll see what the results are. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. All right, uh, one transfer news here. We had mentioned on the last show that former Michigan quarterback Joe Milton was looking to transfer. He has found a home with Caleb, a team that we talked about also last week. He's going to be a volunteer in Tennessee. Uh, I am a huge fan of this for Joe Milton. I think going to the SEC will will pay dividends for him uh, just based on the the, the flashes that we saw, I think it will also help that, you know, he's not going to like a top-notch SEC school right now. And so he doesn't exactly have the burden of, of too heavy of expectations from the media. Now the volunteer fan base, very loyal and, uh, and has high expectations, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think he can, uh, I think he can, you know, make a little splash in the pan there. 
yeah, I'm guessing at this point in the season, his options were limited, especially if he wanted to either be guaranteed a starting job or at least have an opportunity to compete for that starting job. So, you know, maybe Tennessee with all these people, with all the recruits kind of leaving with the uncertainty of whether Tennessee is going to be dealing with some sanctions here in the near future. So maybe just for this season, Tennessee will be okay. So maybe that's why Joe Milton was more okay with going to this school that had this opportunity for him. And yeah, hopefully it works out for him. Um, you know, he, uh, he dealt with some injuries at Michigan the last year or two. So hopefully he'll be healthy for his presumably final season at Tennessee. Absolutely. Uh, one bit of coaching news. Heinz Ward has left the New York jets to join Florida Atlantic university. Uh, Caleb, I'm trying to remember, like he has two positions. One is, one is kind of like an, one is an assistant head coach. Does that sound right? Yeah. I think so. And then he's coaching the wide receivers as well, I believe, correct? Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. Uh, Willie Taggart, the former Florida State head coach, is the current head coach at Florida Atlantic. Uh, excited to see Heinz Ward's coaching uh, coaching journey continue. You know, he didn't exactly have uh, great weapons to coach up at um, – at New York, but you know, we, again, we, we saw some good things out of players like Denzel Mims and, uh, and others there. But, uh, like I said, not the firepower that you needed. And it also doesn't help whenever Adam Gase is coaching an absolutely pitiful offense. Uh, but you know, hopefully Heinz Ward, uh, gets to continue to do well and eventually start finding those coordinator jobs. But as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, and Florida Atlantic should have some uh, talent on their roster. Uh, Lane Kiffin was there for a couple of years, so I'm sure he has some recruiting talent that he has left there that once he left to go back to the SEC. So I'm sure he'll have some place, people there. And Florida, you know, is one of the hotbeds for recruiting anyway. So <laughs> the top recruits are still going to go to Florida, Florida State, Alabama even. But, you know, there's still going to be some leftovers for Florida Atlantic to get there. So, yeah, and um, he's going a different route. Maybe he wasn't offered a head coaching job. He's going a different route than, say, you know, Deion Sanders. But maybe this will propel him to become a head coach, you know, within five years or so, something like that. And something when I was looking up Willie Taggart, I didn't notice he was a Western Kentucky alum. He was their head coach for a while after he was their quarterback. He has his number retired for Western Kentucky. So, Go Willie Taggart. Yeah, in a small world. Uh, speaking of Deion Sanders, apparently he's already on the short list for uh, a lot of FBS jobs, but uh, or for a lot of FBS schools. So, I mean, we'll talk about them a little later. It seems mm-hmm. like he's doing well there. Uh, in the meantime, Caleb, you ready to talk Penn State? Yep, let's get to it. All right, start us off with some transfer news. Yeah, we got two uh, Penn State Nittany Lions that have entered the transfer portal. First off, defensive lineman Shane Simmons and also cornerback Joseph Johnson. Uh, Shane Simmons was the bigger contributor out of these two this past season. But another defensive lineman leaving, um, from what I've read and heard about in spring practice, the defensive line is doing just well without him. So we wish both of those players the best of luck wherever they find their homes for next season. Yeah, I was surprised whenever I saw Simmons there, but it, it makes sense. I mean, there is a lot of depth. Uh, Caleb, we talked about uh, Ken Talley, I believe, uh, last week, and it sounds like he is uh, – it sounds like there are a lot of conversations about him as he gets ready to come up to the ranks of the Nittany Lions and uh, some others. So uh, definitely excited for that. Uh, what about 
we're, we're looking at a potential position change too. Am I understanding that? Yeah. Marquise Wilson, uh, he played uh, some cornerback and I think some safety also last year for Penn state. He's been practicing with the wide receivers at spring practice, which is a, obviously a complete position change for him. He's also been, I think he's been the backup punt and kick returner. So mm. they're trying to use his skill set all over the field. He played quite a bit for Penn state last year in the secondary. So I guess, um, getting Tariq Castro Fields back, bringing in uh, Dixon from South Carolina. Uh, Kalen King, the true freshman, has apparently been crushing it at spring mm-hmm. practice. So obviously Joey Porter Jr. is going to get an expanded role. So maybe he's just going to push down the depth chart. And, you know, we didn't really see a third wide receiver stand out last year. So maybe uh, Marquise Wilson will have a chance to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one last bit of news here. Cowboys, a linebacker, but we know him differently uh and if memory serves correctly we know him as number 45 for the blue and white sean lee has announced his retirement from the nfl after 11 seasons now obviously you know we can we can talk a lot about the injuries that sean lee had to endure but uh i want to focus more on the phenomenal playmaking that he had you know he was part of a quite an elite core of penn state linebackers which is which is something to say considering how good Penn State is consistently at that position. He was there with Dan Connor and Paul Puzlesny. You know, they were all setting records uh, at the at the linebacker position. And um, he, he was kind of quieter toward the end or up until the end of his Penn State career. But even like quieter is, is not the right word. It's a drastic understatement of um, – of himself. He gets to the NFL and he probably has the most successful career of the three of them. Really does a nice job reading defenses, identifying um, blocking schemes and, and making plays all over the field. Um, certainly wish him the best in his next stage of life. I would like to see him enter the coaching realm. I think, uh, I think a team would benefit from it, but uh, congratulations to Sean Lee. Yeah, I think I saw he played something like 118 games in those 11 seasons, so averaging just about 10 to 11 games per season. Missed a whole season somewhere in there, I think with like an ACL injury. So yeah, he's had some tough luck with injuries in his NFL career. So I think it's I think it was right time for him to finally hang up the cleats. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be a great coach if he wants to get into coaching. If he wants to take a few years off before that, I have no qualms with that as well. Mm-hmm. All right, you want to talk some FCS playoff action? Playoffs? You want to talk about yeah. playoffs? Playoffs? <clears throat> you kidding me? Yeah, I want to talk about playoffs. All right, so the first round of the playoffs, the short end, you know, they were contracted down from 24 to 16 this this season for FCS. Those happened this past weekend, so we got the quarterfinals coming up this weekend. And not too many upsets here in the first weekend. So first off, we got upcoming, we got number one, South Dakota State facing off against Southern Illinois. South Dakota State breezed by Holy Cross 31-3 to in the opening round game, while Southern Illinois won a nail-brighter over Weber State 34-31. Southern Illinois is the team that ended North Dakota State's long losing streak, so I think South Dakota State should be on upset alert this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, keeping away. Now, did you say Southern Illinois ended North Dakota's winning streak or losing streak? Oh, uh, winning streak. Yeah, okay. Sorry. So, no, you're all good. Um I mean, it's definitely something to uh, to look out for there. But I mean, I, I like South Dakota State. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna. You know, keep it and move on. I'm much more interested in the next game that we have here, Caleb. Walk us yeah, through. Next, next one we got number two, Sam Houston State. They will be taking on the 
what seems like infinity time defending champion North Dakota State, but they do have a couple losses this year for once. Sam Houston State defeated Monmouth 21 to 15 in the first round, while North Dakota State defeated Eastern Washington 42 to 20 in the first round. So this should be a really good matchup. I think Sam Houston State is undefeated on the year, but anytime you're def- playing up against the defending national champs in North Dakota State, even without Trey Lance at quarterback as he will be drafted very soon. This should be a really good and intriguing matchup. Yeah, you you have it right there. It should be intriguing. Um, I mean, I know, like you said, North Dakota has a couple losses, but I can totally see them turning on the Jets and uh, overtaking Sam Houston State. That being said, we can also see it the other way with Sam Houston State having a really strong season this year and being a good FCS program. So uh, I, I would say of the of the games going into uh, this weekend or uh, of the quarterfinals, well, yeah, I guess that is this weekend. Uh, this yep. is probably the game I am most intrigued about. And I say that, and there's a Virginia team in the next game. Yeah, next up, number three, James Madison will be facing off against North Dakota, not state, just North Dakota. James Madison defeated VMI 31-24 in the first round. I think this was VMI's first appearance in the FCS playoffs, so stinks to losing your first one, but at least they made it there finally. And North Dakota defeated Murray State rather easily, 44-10 to in the first round. North Dakota... Um, so there's, like I said, there's 16 teams, 10 automatic qualifiers from the 10 conferences that were playing this spring. North Dakota is the fourth team from the Missouri Valley Conference, along with North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and Southern Illinois. So they are well represented here in the quarterfinals, that conference. They are basically the SEC of the FCS. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I can definitely see James Madison pulling off a, a big win here. Uh, VMI, I know uh, a former student wasn't in my class, but uh, a former student who plays for VMI. I've, I've met a coach from VMI whenever I was at a, a wedding. He was uh, he was at the hotel for a different uh, event. I think he might have actually been out doing some recruiting, but uh, you know we were able to talk. So uh, you know, congrats to VMI for making it into the first round. Maybe next year you'll make it a little bit further, but you know don't want to discount that. And uh, let's go Dukes. Yep, and the final matchup we got, number four, Jacksonville State will be facing off against Delaware. Jacksonville State crushed Davidson 49-14 to while Delaware got past Sacred Heart in 19-10. to Jacksonville State, as we mentioned earlier, is Deion Sanders' school, the school he's coaching at now. So he got them to be one of the four ranked teams here and has them into the quarterfinals and, you know, just a couple wins away from maybe making it to the FCS National Championship game. Yeah, and, you know, I – like, I don't know if it's, like, cliche to say, like, I'm picking Jacksonville State as my uh, – or, you know, I don't know if it's, like, lame to say that. I'm picking Jacksonville State as, like, my my underdog team. I mean, they're number four. They're not really an underdog. But, um, you know, as of right now, of the four teams uh, that are there, I, I like Jacksonville State. And I think it – I mean, it could just be the media – hyping them up, but I am just consistently hearing their name. And so that, that leads me to believe that they are doing something right. And so, um, you know, I'm definitely picking them to, to be Delaware. Um, next, the, the following weekend, whenever we get to the semifinals, uh, that's, that's going to be where I'm going to be uh, very curious to see how it goes. Caleb, we might have to do some who you got for the end of the FCS. Yeah, maybe we can. Yeah. So, uh, what are you thinking here? Are you thinking that Jacksonville State beats Delaware, then upsets South Dakota State to make it to the championship game? Yeah, because Jacksonville State, yeah, because, you know. Yeah, number four would play number one if they both win. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, really, of, of all these 
of these four games, the only one where I see like a, a ranked team losing, it's the Sam Houston State game. And that's mm-hmm. really just because of North Dakota State's name reputation and uh, what we've seen out of uh, the school. I mean, the playoffs are a different time. It's a different part of the season. And, uh, you know, everybody's 0-0 at the start, and now they're all 1-0. So uh, even records here, you know. Yeah, I'm thinking James Madison might pull this off. They were undefeated going into the championship game last year where they lost to North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. North Dakota State not as good this year. You know, maybe they get a chance at revenge in the semifinals if the, both those teams win this weekend. And then, you know, like I said, there's four teams out of that Missouri Valley Conference that have made it, so they've kind of beat up on each other. So I'm wondering if, you know, maybe those two, those four teams, who you know, whoever makes it, keeps making it on here, they'll be a little more tired as the season goes on, and James Madison is able to go on that and, you know, get their national championship that was deprived of them from last, last season. Yeah, and last season's national championship game, with uh, Ben DiNucci at quarterback, Caleb, the uh, yeah. the for a part of a time starting Dallas Cowboys quarterback this season. I mean, just missed out on a golden opportunity to win the game for them. So, uh, yeah, definitely we'll be hoping for a shot at redemption uh, for them as well. That's a tough thing. There's so many teams in the FCS who have cool stories that you're like, oh, man, I'm really intrigued by this that you want to root for. But at the end of the day, Caleb, there can only be one. And I'm not talking about Highlanders. <laughs> yeah, so the quarterfinals will be played this weekend, either May 1st or May 2nd, depending on which game you're looking for. The semifinals will be played the following weekend. All Both games will be played on May 8th. And the championship game will be played in Frisco, Texas, May 15th. Maybe we'll see North Dakota State going for like their ninth national championship in the last 10 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. Most of these other teams will be looking for their first national championship, though. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. All right, Caleb, are you ready? It's Christmas time, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Mel Kiper birthday. Mel yeah. Kiper Jr.'s favorite weekend of the year. It's a great time. Who doesn't love the NFL draft? You know, my wife is sitting right next to me on the couch doing some schoolwork. She just raised her hand in acknowledgement. LB, who doesn't love the draft? Okay, she's saying she doesn't. And you know what? That's why uh, That's why Caleb and I do this podcast. Our wives, not as sold on football as, as we are. So, uh, Caleb, if you're ready, let's, uh, let's go ahead and nerd out to a, one of our favorite times of the year. Let's go. Okay, so a bit of a surprising announcement whenever it was first announced. Uh, the NFL draft is going to be in person. We know it's going to have some online uh, components as well, but it's exciting to think that we are now at a space where we can safely do this. And so the NFL draft is going to be held in Cleveland from April 29th, which is this Thursday, until May 1st. We got a, all the times for the rounds here. So uh, if you have a notepad, write them down. All these times are Eastern. Round one is going to be April 29th at 8 p.m. Rounds two through three on April 30th at 7 p.m. And then on May 1st, rounds four through seven at 12 p.m. Caleb, let's let's talk semantics first and the structure of this. First of all, I love that round one has its own uh, primetime slot. Only thing that kills me is that like teams like Jacksonville are going to get 15 minutes on the clock, even though they know fully well they know they know completely who they're going to pick, and they're going to take those full 15 minutes. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I think it's down to 10 now, so luckily it's a little shorter. But, yeah, it is annoying. I'm like, you've known you had taken Trevor Lawrence ever since you clinched the number one overall pick in week 16 or whatever it was. So, mm-hmm. yeah, turn it in. You're not trading the pick. Even if, you know, someone offered you prime 
Tom Brady. I don't think you trade this pick. So yeah. Now, let me ask this uh, as well, Caleb. If you are, uh, if you're watching the draft, you know, Caleb, you you and I are are two guys that we try to watch every single pick. Mm-hmm. Outside of round one. No, and we'll say outside of round two as well because there's a lot of first round talent in round two, obviously. Which of these rounds excites you the most? And I realize that's a super cheesy, corny type <laughs> question, but uh, just curious. Uh, well, Leslie, GM of the Rams, he seems to love round six. A couple years ago, I think we, at one point the Rams had like five or six draft picks in round six. So that's an ongoing joke. But, um, you know, there's there's always plenty of talent in these later rounds, especially rounds three and four. I think those are, you can call those the middle rounds. I think you can still get plenty of starters, plenty of producers, plenty of NFL talent in rounds three and four, especially. So it feels like there's not too many that come from round seven, even nowadays, even I think maybe scouting departments are getting a little better in identifying the players that they're supposed to go for, even though round one still seems to be kind of a crapshoot. But so I think, um, you know, round, so I'd say round four, just because it's the start of the day three, you kind of get to reset a little bit, Mm -hmm. see who's still on the board. And so I'll say, I'll say round four is the one I'm looking forward to outside those top two rounds. Nice. I'm a big fan of round seven. Uh, You know, we got Steelers got AQ Shipley in round seven out of Penn state. But more so because of the final pick of the draft. I love Mr. Irrelevant. I know Ryan Suckup's really the only one that's made some some big differences for a team, but uh, mm-hmm. it's just fun. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Let's go ahead. Let's look at some Penn State players that are potential draft prospects. These rankings come from Dane Brugler at The Athletic. The Athletic puts together a lot of high-quality uh, stuff whenever it comes to sports journalism. So uh, definitely worth checking them out. First one is the obvious name, Pat Fryermuth. He is the number two tight end consistently on big boards, uh, only trailing Kyle Pitts. He has a second round grade and is number 56 overall. He did not have a chance to participate at Penn State's Pro Day due to that lingering shoulder injury that also contributed to his early end. Caleb, I got to be honest, I'm a little surprised that um, he is a second round grade. I don't know if it's just because of the talent at other positions um, this year that are skill position based, but I, I've just figured with the weakness of the defensive line and, and others, I thought for sure I was going to see a uh, big pack at that first round grade. Yeah. I think some people aren't quite enamored with quite, quite well with his um, athleticism. Mm-hmm. They say, you know, he's a big guy. He's great in the red zone. He can chip in a little bit at blocking, you know, more than some other receiving tight ends. What was it? I think he never dropped a pass for Penn State or something like that. So he's got sure hands. He's a great – he is a, a great athlete, but, you know, not a freakish athlete kind of like Kyle Pitts is, even though he's more of a generational talent. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of why he's slipping down to the second round a little bit. And some I've seen some places even have him at the number three or number four tight end. So I still think he's going to go second. Seems like consensus is he'll, he'll go second. But yeah. some people don't like him quite as much, I think, for that reason. Yeah, I mean, you you and I are big fans of him. There was uh, there was a tweet out yesterday asking, you know, who would be we're recording this on Monday, so it was out on Sunday, um, asking who would be Pat Firemoose like pro comparison, and I saw a lot of different ones. On you know, I'll be honest, what I thought of was what his nickname is. You know, he's from New England, Baby Gronk. I I see a lot of Gronk in him, like you said, strong in the red zone. 
He's a good blocker. He has those sure hands, like you mentioned. I mean, I think, I think that his athleticism is underrated. Uh, Caleb, who who do you think you might uh, compare him to? Ooh, that's tough. Um, yeah, I think uh, Gasicki's a little more, a little more athletic than he is, but maybe not quite the all-around tight end prospect that Pat Frymuth is. You know, I think he's going to be a good tight end in the league. He's going to be someone that's going to contribute for a long time, and he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a good contributor. I don't think he, I think he's got a low bust potential, which is good. Mm-hmm. But tight ends usually they take, you know, two, three years sometimes to, till they get to they reach their full potential. And so I think he'll be able to contribute somewhat, you know, his first, second year. But, yeah, it'll probably take him some time till he's, you know, blooming into the the best tight end that we that he can be. Yeah. Uh, next guy, Will Fry is number 20 at the offensive guard or the number 20 ranked uh, offensive guard. He is a seventh-round grade or a priority undrafted free agent. I mean, he's much more of a gadget kind of a guy at the offensive line. He played 26 games at right tackle, nine at left tackle, six at right guard, and one at left guard. I I see Will Fries probably serving in a role similar to like what Zach Banner did for the Steelers for a little while where he was kind of like a plug-and-play sort of offensive contributor. He he won't necessarily start at a position right away, and he he may never, but he can probably be a pretty reliable uh, offensive player. offensive lineman to to fill in here and there yeah i think he projects more as a guard like you said like he's ranked here at the nfl level but having that versatility is good especially as someone who early on is probably going to be your seventh or eighth offensive lineman but you need that guy you know maybe if if you don't want to shuffle things around sometimes you know you bring a uh, your your sixth offensive lineman might be primarily only a left tackle or something like that, and then you have to kind of shift around the offensive line if, say, your right guard gets hurt and you want to bring in your left your backup left tackle because he's the best. So he can kind of slot in wherever you need him to and maybe not shuffle around the offensive line as much. But, yeah, he'll – yeah, if he gets drafted, he'll get drafted late, and hopefully he'll be able to stick around on a roster. And, you know, it'll probably be, again, a couple years until he c- contributes to an NFL offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Minnett is the number six ranked center. He's projecting between the third and fourth round. He did not work out at Penn State's Pro Day due to a hamstring injury. Kill, I, I actually see Michael Minnett in a similar path as somebody like an AQ Shipley who may not start right away, but will eventually. And uh, and I think that he can be a, a high producer. I mean, I know our offensive line had struggles, but the two guys that, are, that we have here – that we're talking about Fries and Mennett are, are names that we have consistently heard. Uh, Mennett, obviously, we heard more frequently in, in positive notes, and uh, I certainly think that that between the two of them, he will have the more productive career. I agree, yeah. I think Michael Mennett, you know, third, fourth-round grade. I know the Rams, my team here, they're looking for a center as they let uh, their starting center go, so I wonder if Michael Mennett comes in. You know, he, I think he's maybe not start game one, but I think he could be a starter or – contributor by you know mid-season this season mm-hmm. i think he's a smart player i think he can fill in for you and so yeah maybe not yeah like you said maybe not quite start right off the bat but i think he'll be pushing pretty early on in his first season to be a to be a starter whether it's at the center position maybe they move him out to guard if the team that does draft him already has an established center next guy we have on the list here caleb is a little bit kind of sort of controversial i guess 
Jason Owe. If you would have told me Jason Owe would be the highest-ranked offensive or defensive lineman in this draft, I would have said, no way, Owe. Um, Anyway, he's the number four edge guy. He has a first, uh, maybe second-round grade, number 26 overall. He ran he ran a forty in four point three seven seconds, which was the fastest of all edge rushers. But there are two things for me. Um, one, and and you know I am not a draft scout, and maybe this is one of the reasons why I honestly don't care about the forty yard dash time. I want to see him pads on the field in game situations, uh, and so you know like that's cool, like he's fast, but what's his where's his productivity? And I didn't see the productivity as much this season. I, I didn't see um, the sacks, and I recognize that's not the only statistic, but I didn't really see much of that. I didn't like hear his name as a disruptor. I didn't really see him disrupting uh, as much as I as much as I would expect a first or second round player. But the upside is there, and I think that's what a lot of teams are are looking at. They're saying if we can refine him, kind of like a uh, like a Bud Dupree or or some others then he can maybe emerge into something more that will uh, leave a big impact for a defense. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of people are comparing him to uh, Daniil Hunter for the Vikings. Mm. He also had no sacks his final year in college, and you know he's been a pretty good contributor for the Minnesota Vikings now for a few seasons. So I think scouts are rightfully looking past the no sacks that he put up this year. He put up some sacks the year before that. He, I think, improved as a run defender this year, so he can help you as a pass rusher and a run defender, so you can keep him on the down, on the field for all three downs if you need him to, and he can contribute both facets that way. Like, yeah, 40-yard dash time doesn't mean too much, but if you're the fastest one out there, I mean, for an edge rusher, you're probably looking more at like a 10-yard split, maybe, you know, like the cone drill, something like that is more uh, an apt comparison, a more vital uh, speed you're looking for for an edge rusher than, say, the 40-yard dash. But, you know, we can scoot, which is good. And, you know, there's no dominant edge rusher in this year's draft like there has been in the past few years. So I think that's why he's ranked a little higher than maybe he would be in another draft. There's no, you know, Joey Bosa in this draft or anything like that. So uh, some team's going to take a gamble on him. And, you know, I think he has the ceiling to be the best edge rusher, the best pass rusher in this draft. But, he definitely has some downside as well. You know, maybe he comes in the first three years, only he's averaging like three sacks this season and he's considered a bust and, you know, maybe it takes till his second team till he pans out or something like that. But yeah, I think he's a high risk, high reward kind of guy, but I think you could say that out of of a lot of these edge rushers in this year's draft. Yeah. So it sounds like he could either be a Daniil Hunter or a, uh, or an Aaron Maben to use another Penn Stater there. Didn't work out. Uh, next player here, one of my favorites, Shaka Tony, number 31 edge player, a 6th to 7th round grade. He ran the second fastest edge rusher time on the 40. Again, don't really care about like their 40-yard time. I want to see them in pads, but you know, we'll go ahead and point out he's a pretty fast dude, 4.52 seconds in the 40. Caleb, I think that honestly, if you draft Shaka Tony in the 6th or 7th round, you're getting an absolute steal. He is somebody that I see being a quality starter for a team. Uh, in the NFL that I've just seen too much of his productivity. He does a good job getting off the line and, and getting around the edge and, and being at the, at the ball, you know, and, and being one of the leaders of the attacks against the defense. So I'm a huge fan of Shaka Tony. I was disappointed to hear how low uh, he has been scouted, but you know, I am optimistic that he will be able to uh, prove a lot of scouts wrong. 
Agreed. I think he's going to outperform his wherever he gets drafted, unless he gets drafted in the first round or something. You know, some team is crazy into something like that. But yeah, if he gets drafted, you know, day three, I think he's going to be a definite producer. I think at worst, he's going to be, you know, a rotational guy that comes in and gets five or so sacks a season for you for quite a few years. Like you said, he could definitely be a starter. He's going to be a leader right away for that defensive line, no matter where he, no matter what team he goes to. So, you know, if some teams wait until day three to take this guy, I think he's going to come in and be an impact guy right away for you. So, yeah, I really like Shaka Tony. He's going to he's going to keep his motor running, whether he's on there for, you know, playing all 100% of snaps or he's only playing 25% of snaps. Exactly. Uh, and then one more player here that we want to uh, look at, and that is the man, the myth, the legend. Micah Parsons. Uh, Micah Parsons, number one linebacker, first-round grade, obviously, and is number 12 overall on the big boards. He is also a very fast guy, fastest of all the linebackers, ran a 4.36-second 40-yard dash, which just confirms what a lot of these uh, draft scouts are looking for in somebody. Uh, But, again, I want to look beyond the 40-yard dash time, and and I just want to say Micah Parsons' vision – as a linebacker is incredible. You know, I heard um, Mel Kuyper and and Todd McShay on the first draft podcast. And I've heard other people say this too, that, you know, getting involved in, in with a linebacker and Caleb, I think we've even said this before takes, you know, takes some time before you can really become elite. And, uh, you know, frequently we'll be like, Oh, well, you know, Micah Parsons, like he didn't, like he wasn't a total standout his first year. And while that's true, he was still a fantastic linebacker his first year. So he's consistently been dominant uh, whenever it comes to the defensive side of the ball. Good leader, good job at identifying uh, what the offense is giving them. And you know, there are some conversations right now about, you know, where is he going to fall in the draft? There are some people saying he could fall uh, to Denver at number nine with uh, how crazy all this uh, quarterback uh, grabbing game is going to go. I mean, I saw another mock where he goes to New England. I mean, he he could really go anywhere, but whoever gets him, they're getting. I'm just gonna like flat out say, I believe they're getting the best defensive player in the draft. Period. Yeah, I think that's definitely his ceiling, and I think he it's a realistic chance that he reaches his ceiling. I wouldn't be surprised if we're, you know, redoing this this the 2021 draft in five years, and he's you know. He should have been the fifth overall player, the fourth overall, mm-hmm. even the third overall player, something like that. When it comes to all said and done, I think he has that kind of ceiling. He's still learning how to play linebacker. He didn't play linebacker in high school. He obviously opted out of last season, so he has two years of experience playing linebacker. So I think, yeah, he he can be the best linebacker in the league if he gets the right coaching, if he prepares right, and you know if everything comes together right. I think that's his ceiling, and he, I think, yeah, he should be. He, he could definitely can be the best defensive player in this draft. And yeah, he might be the first one drafted. He might be the fourth one drafted, you know, some of these cornerbacks, but um, he'll definitely be up there. And I think he has a, he definitely has the highest ceiling of any Penn state player at this draft. And that's shown why he is the highest ranked player out of the six we've talked about. Yeah. So this is the Penn state players. Obviously uh, I'll be glued to the TV trying to figure out, you know, where are they going to go in the draft? Excited for all of them as they, Uh, potentially enter the the next stage of their careers. Uh, We want to spend some time also looking at just prospects in general. And so let's start with uh, the position that everybody wants to talk about, Caleb. Let's talk quarterbacks. We already know Trevor Lawrence is expected to be the number one overall pick. No question about it. He He is a head above everybody else. But if you are looking at your number two quarterback, so, you know, if you are picking uh, at the New York Jets, 
Who are you going with there, Caleb? We, you know, we got Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. Yeah, it sounds like Zach Wilson is all but confirmed to be the pick for the Jets at number two. Mm-hmm. But me personally, I take Justin Fields. He was number two quarterback coming out of high school. He, for some reason, committed to Georgia played the last two years at Ohio State, obviously, and he's been nothing but fantastic there. He's had some games here and there that he's been off, you know. The Northwestern game and the Big Ten championship game this year comes to the forefront in a lot of conversations when trying to, you know, nitpick at Justin Fields here a little bit. But um, a lot of guys have also said, you know, Northwestern put, you know, they were basically daring Ohio State to run the ball and eventually – uh, you know, Coach Day and the Ohio State offense figured out that they were supposed to run the ball against Northwestern, and Trey Sermon ran for uh, Ohio State record 300 plus yards, right? Something like that. So, you know, if if that's how teams are going to play Justin Fields in the NFL, then fine. There, you know, maybe he's not going to be thrown for 4,000 yards, 4,500 yards if they're going to play eight guys in coverage every single pass play against him. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you saw how good he can be with the cracked rib. He came out through six touchdown passes against Clemson, an elite team in the college football playoff. He only lost two games in his career. You know, that's not everything, but it's not – he was helping them win games. He wasn't – you know, they weren't winning, because, um, you know, in spite of – Justin Fields, they're winning a lot of these games because of Justin Fields. He, I know Ohio State has, you know, this knack of not having great quarterbacks transition into the NFL. We've seen the latest um, with Washington here with Dwayne Haskins not turning out to, he's been a bust for them, released and, you know, trying to find his way around as a backup now throughout the league. But I think Justin Fields is a different quarterback. I think he's better than any Ohio State quarterback has produced. And, you know, he'd be but he'd be a clear cut number two for me. I think there'd be a small tier gap between the next three guys. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. I think Fields is unquestionably the second best quarterback in this draft. And and I don't understand all the all the like not hate, but all the doubts that he's getting. I mean, even before it, it came out that Fields had epilepsy, people were, were just kind of downgrading him. And I'll be honest, I'm not concerned about the epilepsy. Uh I, I really am not. We've We've seen some high-quality players that have had epilepsy. Hall of Famer, Alan Fanica. Tiki Barber, one of the best running backs of the past, you know, 25 years. Uh, and they've been able to play. You know, the advances that we have in medicine lead me to believe that this epilepsy is really not going to to hinder Justin Fields uh, as a football player. And, and so, like, I, I just don't get it, man. Yeah, and it sounds like this is uh... – a. This is something that's gone on in his family for generations, Mm -hmm. and it's like a juvenile case of epilepsy, so they expect him to get past it at some point in his career. You know, maybe it's this year, maybe it's in 10 years, who knows, but yeah, I mean, he's dealt with it his, assumingly, his whole life, so, and he's been perfectly fine in high school, he's been perfectly fine in college, so I'm not sure why it would be any different in the NFL, you know, now he gets to focus on the NFL full-time. If he can't sleep a little bit, so be it, but um, I think he'll, I don't think this is a concern at all. Yeah, I think, you know, there, like I said, there's enough medical advances to be able to help him so that, you know, football and, and epilepsy, you know, will not hinder his long-term health, hopefully. Uh, and, you know, if, if it does, then that's something else to look at. But I, I, I'm not concerned about it. I think Fields is going to be fine. I think he's going to be an excellent player and, you know, get him in the right coaching situation and he can be an excellent player right away. Uh, I am a big fan of Zach Wilson as well. I mean, he he played awesome at BYU, but, uh, you know, he he is definitely below fields in my rankings. Uh, but, you know, that's uh, 
he's a guy who can go make plays, throw the ball deep downfield, and uh, seems like a, an overall good guy, and I like good guys. Uh, Trey Lance and, and Mac Jones, I keep on going back and forth on them. I, I see Mac Jones as delightfully average. You know, he, I kind of look at him like, uh, like a Joe Flacco whenever he was kind of near like the peak of his career, uh, you know, on the Super Bowl hunt. Maybe not like a top five quarterback, but definitely somewhere in the top half uh, where he can be an, a terrific game manager. Trey Lance, I just don't know enough about. You know, I, I didn't watch him play really at all in college. And this, whenever I'd read his stats, they didn't really stand out to me as impressive. But uh, I know the pro scouts like what they see in Trey Lance, so he must have the intangibles. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to write off Trey Lance because I think he'll be. I, I do think he can be good. Mac Jones just confuses me with the conversation of him being at number three because I do see him kind of being like a middle ground for starting quarterbacks in the NFL, not one of these, you know, surefire uh, home run hitters, Caleb. Yeah, I mean, I like. I do think all these guys definitely have some upside to them, and I think they're all worthy of being first round draft picks. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. with the way um, with the way quarterbacks are drafted in the first round, odds are half these guys are going to be bust, half of them are going to be good, and you know that's the way it is. So we don't know who it is. Maybe it's going to be Mac Jones and Trey Lance, the guys we like the least out of these three. Maybe it'll be Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. That'll be the bust out of this group. You know, we just don't know. We're not going to know for three to five years down the line. But, yeah, Trey Lance, just tough. You know, he he's only played, I think, 16 games in, in college. He was great uh, last year before he sat out this past year. I think he had something like 20 touchdown passes and no interceptions. He had a bunch of rushing touchdowns in there as well. So he's he's definitely a big athlete, but you got to deal uh you have to have some kind of concern with um the opponent playing level there. FCS not as good as FBS obviously, but you can say the same thing about Zach Wilson with that. BYU did played a much easier schedule this year and that's kind of why they were never high in the rankings as high as maybe the a normal 10 and 0 team would be. Obviously, then they lost to Coastal Carolina, the best team that they did play this year. So that kind of threw a wrench into their season. So, you know, a lot of these guys have some upside. Trey Lance may be one of the better athletes out of these guys. Zach Wilson, a lot of, I think some guys are kind of comparing him to what Josh Allen has done. You know, it took him a couple of years to to get to reach his potential here, Josh Allen, but he was an MVP candidate this past season. So, you know, we definitely can see all these guys working out, but um, I think, yeah, like we said, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, those are the two surest bets in my opinion. So I think those are the two I take top two. Yeah. Outside the top five, we, we do have some other uh, quality potential quarterbacks. Kyle Trask from Florida, Davis Mills from Stanford, Ian Book from Notre Dame, Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, Sam Ellinger from Texas, Jamie Newman from Georgia and Wake Forest. Shane Bouchelle from SMU and Felipe Franks from Arkansas and Florida. Caleb, outside of the top five, which one of these guys, which one of these guys, uh, you know, get you fired up? Um, I'm going to go with Davis Mills. He only really started, you know, about uh, 10 to 15 games at Stanford. He had some injury concerns and then COVID this year. He played in the Pac-12. They only got five games in Stanford, and I think he had to miss one of those games because he had a false, uh, false mm-hmm. positive COVID test. But um, he was the number one quarterback recruit coming out of 
he was coming out of Georgia as well, the same state as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, actually, the year before they came out. He was the number one quarterback recruit, went to Stanford, uh, sat behind K.J. Costello there for a little bit. K.J. Costello transferred on to Mississippi State, and now Davis Mills took over. A lot of guys are liking him. I think one of the insiders, maybe Peter Schrager, was it? Uh, in their mock draft recently put him in actually like the number 31 and number 32 overall pick, sneaking him in as the sixth quarterback in the first round, yep. you know, kind of like Lamar Jackson was a couple years ago to get that extra year potentially of a rookie contract. So I don't think he's going to go quite that high. Seems more to me like a second to third round pick for Davis Mills. But um, I know a lot of guys like him, you know, if he gets to sit for a year or so behind a quarterback, you know, Whoever is established, maybe someone like the Steelers, you know, last year for Ben Roethlisberger, maybe the Steelers take a gamble on Davis Mills and he can be their future starter if he, if everything pans out and he gets some uh, healthy injury status. Yeah. And, you know, Davis Mills is definitely one I've got my eye on. Uh, obviously, Sam Ellinger, you know, he and Shane Bouchelle, if they both get drafted, they'll be very fortunate. They'll get they'll get their draft card and their AARP card at the same time. I mean, those guys were in college forever, Caleb. But yep. um, excited for them. Sal- Sam Ellinger intrigues me more so uh, just because of, of his leadership abilities. And, mm-hmm. you know, I-, I see him kind of being more like a Colt McCoy, another Texas product, where uh, he'll be in the league for a while, be a really high-quality backup, will we'll come in and-, and do some good pinch hitting for you. May not be like the starter that, uh, that some of these other top five guys are going to be, but he's going to be somebody that I think that, that a lot of people will know his name uh, at the very least, just because they see him coming and pinch hit for their starting quarterback. Yeah. And so as we are looking through all these different positions, uh, Caleb, and we just looked at the the quarterback position. I want to take some time and uh, now dive into running backs here. I am of the opinion. Najee Harris is a good running back. He, he has unlocked his power back potential. Uh, and a lot of people have him as RB one, but I personally prefer Travis Etienne. I think that I've seen much more from Travis Etienne uh, maximizing his potential. I think he has potential to reach that top speed faster. And, you know, he's he's not going to be a running back that, you know, just like gets destroyed at the line of scrimmage. He'll attack there too. So um, I know there's a lot of teams out there that are mocking uh, the Steelers to Travis or to Najee Harris. I would like to see Travis Etienne ultimately uh, end up a stealer, whether that's, you know, first, second, or some team, some mocks even have ETN in the third round. And that makes zero sense to me. Yeah. I like both these guys. I think both these guys are going to be really good NFL running backs provided mm-hmm. they, you know, go to a team with some sort of offensive line. You know, we saw what Saquon Barkley was doing behind the no name offensive line that the giants put out this last season. And, uh, mm. unfortunately probably helped him get hurt. So yeah, I think both these guys are going to be really good. Travis Etienne, yeah, I think he has some more miles on his legs. He's been the starter full-time at Clemson, mm-hmm. what, for four years now, whereas Najee Harris got to sit behind the guys like Josh Jacobs before he took over as the starting premier role at Alabama. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why you go Najee Harris a little bit. He doesn't have quite the miles on his legs. I think I think they're both good running backs. They both can catch the ball. Um, both, I think, can block a little bit. Maybe Najee Harris is a little better as a blocking back. Um, and we've seen Najee Harris, you know, he's gone out. I think he might be a little better of a route runner too. I think Travis Etienne, if you get him in space, like on a screen, something like that, I think 
he can work well best in that situation. Najee Harris, I think, has a little maybe more receiving skills. So, you know, just trying to, you know, nitpick here between these top two guys who I both think are both going to be good. If they're not gone at the end of the first mm-hmm. round, they'll be gone early second round. I think teams that, you know, are taking quarterbacks in the first round could be looking to help them with some running back help early in the second round if, if these guys fall to the second round. Yeah, it, it frustrates me that some people say, you know, don't take a running back in the first round whenever. Like, let's be honest, Caleb. There's at least, in my opinion, there, there are at least four running backs that are first-round talent. Um, you know, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, obviously, at the top. But then two teammates, the the two running backs from USC, Javante Williams and, and Michael Carter. I feel like if you... If you pick the one that your team needs the most, because obviously, you know, Williams is 220 pounds. He's much more of a, a bruiser. Uh, Carter, bit more of a, a fast uh, dual threat kind of guy at 199 pounds. If, you're, if your team needs a bruiser, Javante Williams is, is going to do good for you. If you need somebody that's going to be able to catch those screen passes like Travis Etienne does, like you mentioned, uh, Michael Carter is probably your guy. But... Uh, I mean, it's hard for me to peg which one I think is better, Caleb. Do you do you have one that you lean toward? Um, seems like most people are going with Javante Williams. I think he's a little bit better. I think just because he can, I think, run over some guys, you know. Um, mm-hmm. He might not be the best at finding the hole, but, you know, if he can run over that first, the linebacker, whoever, maybe a safety is down in there in the gap. If he can run over that first guy and break into the second tier of the defense, you know. It doesn't really matter what your vision is. You obviously can't run through as many guys in the NFL as you do in college, but I think, uh, so yeah, again, I think both these guys are great. They've obviously been working in tandem the past couple of years. So it's going to be, you're going to have to project a little bit to see if they can become an every down back. But, yeah. you know, we're seeing, I think more and more teams go to, a, you know, two or even three running backs sets or not sets, I would say rotating backs. So I think, both these guys can be used in that, you know, 65% role or something like that. If they're getting about 65% of the offense, I think both can take on the the lead back role, but maybe not a, a full-time role like a, like a Saquon Barkley or a Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Now outside of these top four running backs, uh, I, I feel like it gets thinner. You know, we hear guys like Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis, Trey Sermon out of, uh, you know, Oklahoma. And then last year at Ohio state, uh, Chuba Hubbard, whose name we heard a lot out of Oklahoma State at one point, Puka Williams out of Kansas, probably are, are that next tier. Uh, but then, you know, there's also Khalil Herbert, who I whose name I'm starting to hear more out of Kansas and Virginia Tech. Larry Round, uh, Tree out of Missouri, uh, Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State, Jarrett Patterson out of Buffalo, Ramondre Stevenson out of Oklahoma. I mean, if I'm looking at this list, a couple names stick out. I mean, obviously Chuba Hubbard stands out because he was at one point a potential Heisman guy before he quit on his team. I'm not, I'm not like in love with him anymore at the position. I feel like he got shut down too much. What I saw from Trey Sermon late in the season, I really like. So he stands out to me as long as the collarbone is healthy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this with this group of, of running backs, Caleb. How about you? Yeah, I'm uh, liking Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, he had a little bit of off the field issues, so he was suspended at the beginning part of this season. But once he got cooking, Oklahoma's offense really took off in that second half of the season um, with uh, Spencer Rattler. He seemed to figure it out, but I think mm-hmm. he was also helped by Ramondre Stevenson coming in. You know, 
Trey Sermon transferred out. And it's not just because he wanted to go to Ohio State. He was at Oklahoma. He was at a good school. You know, I think maybe he was told that once Ramondre Stevenson was coming back that he was going to be the lead back. And Trey Sermon didn't really want to be part of a one-two punch there. He wanted his own lead back to be his own lead back at a different school. And it worked out for him. He had a great last couple games at Ohio State. But um, I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to be really good running back if he can stay on the field not do any of that off the field stuff to get you suspended or anything like that. And uh, yeah, like you said, a lot of these guys, they're probably, you know, complimentary backs. Maybe they can be a lead back, but not take on that full workload like uh, like a Najee Harris or Travis Etienne will be capable of. But we've seen a lot of successful backs be taken where a lot of these guys are going to be taken third, fourth round. Some of these guys may fall to the sixth or seventh round, but we've seen a lot of successful backs come throughout the whole draft. So like you mentioned, a lot of these guys, you know, maybe they should be going in the first round early on than they should, but a lot of these guys, it's where do they go to the right fit for their team? You know, if they go to the wrong fit, they're going to not produce like they should. But if they, if they get paired up with the right team, I think a lot of these guys can succeed. Yeah. Caleb last season, we thought that the wide receiver draft class was incredibly deep we got another really deep receiver pass catcher uh, draft coming up this season as well. And what's amazing is the person that probably leads it is a tight end, uh, tight end Kyle Pitts. And so, you know, a lot of teams have very successful or that have been very successful, have these top notch tight ends. You know, you think of, um, you think of Kansas city with Travis Kelsey, you think of San Francisco minus this year, with uh, George Kittle, you think of like the Patriot dynasty for a while with uh, Rob Gronk and or with Rob Gronkowski, and then you know he goes down to Tampa Bay, performs well there. Do you think teams should be picking a tight end before wide receiver? Because that's usually, you know, it, it's kind of like that running back rule where you don't pick one in the first round. It's not that you don't pick tight ends in the first round, but you usually don't grab them this high because, uh, you know, they they typically take a little while to to pan out if they do yeah and I, I definitely think Kyle Pitts is a class above any tight end maybe we've ever seen come out of college mm-hmm. you know definitely in the last 10 or 10 years or more but we've seen highly picked tight ends recently kind of become bust Eric Ebron you know he's had a solid career but he was drafted what number seven overall or something like that and he yeah. didn't pan out well with the Lions uh, TJ Hawkinson he's kind of coming around here lately with with again with the Lions, but you know it's he's not been what most top what you expect out of a top ten pick. It, there's some been some others. Noah Fant, it's taken him a little bit to get going. So, I think Kyle Pitts can come in and be successful earlier on than most tight ends. And I think, you know, if whether the Falcons take him at four, the Bengals take him at five, the Dolphins at six, you know, wherever he goes wherever he goes somewhere in that top 10, I think he's going to be successful no matter what. And I think it's going to be a worthwhile pick, but I can see why some teams are a little bit hesitant with how top tight ends have gone recently. Mm-hmm. Now uh, there's no question that Kyle Pitts is the top tight end, but there are some questions about who is the number one wide receiver in this draft class. Is it reigning Heisman winner Devonte Smith? Is it the number one ranked wide receiver in 2019 Jamar chase? Is it Jalen Waddle who is great at the return game and at receiving? I mean, I like Jamar Chase. He was 19 whenever, he, right? He was 19 in 2019 yep. whenever he led it all. 
Uh, he opted out this past season, but I mean, if he plays like he did whenever he was with Joe Burrow, people are, are, are going to get a crazy good playmaker who, who definitely plays bigger than his, uh, than his physical stature says, yep. but do you really go wrong with any of these guys, Caleb? I don't think so, but um, like we saw even just last year, you know, a lot of the we had what six wide receivers or something like that go in the first round, and Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson, who was the sixth one taken, was the best one as a rookie. Obviously, things can change in the next couple of years. So, but I think uh, yeah, I think all these guys are going to be good. We have obviously everyone has the height and weight concern with Devontae Smith, but he was always open at Alabama, so mm-hmm. I don't know why things would that much different in the nfl you know if you're if you're good in college if you're productive in college that usually means at the wide receiver position you're going to be good and productive in the nfl doesn't always turn out but production in in college i think equates more with production in the nfl at wide receiver level than it does at say the quarterback position yeah like we said jamar chase he was even better than justin jefferson at lsu uh, 2019 and Jalen Waddle might be a better, faster version of Henry Ruggs, who was the first wide receiver taken last year. So all these guys are, I think going to be really good in the NFL. Hopefully none of them bust, but you know, there's always that potential. I think Jamar Chase is the best out of the bunch, but I wouldn't be surprised if Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle, you know, maybe even someone a little bit further down the line turns out to be one of the best wide receivers in this year's draft. But yeah, again, I think we have a really good draft of wide receivers on our hands. I'm excited for it. It's a lot of fun when you're bringing in offensive talent like this. It's fun mm-hmm. for fantasy football, which uh, I know a lot of people are obviously getting into these past few years. And it's it's exciting when you're bringing in no disrespect to defense. People, you know, defense is very important to the game. But when you're bringing in the guys who score the touchdowns, help you with your fantasy team, I think that brings more interest into the NFL. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with Devontae Smith real quick, and then I, I want to jump into the uh, other wide receivers. I mean, he might be small, but we've seen plenty of small guys play well. And it's not like he can't gain muscle. But, um, you know, y- you had talked about some other high-quality wide receivers, Caleb. Let's look at some other possible first-rounders. You got Kadarius Toney out of Florida, Rondale Moore out of Purdue, Terrace Marshall out of LSU, and Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. Which of these guys do you uh, – do you like the most Caleb? Um, I'm kind of liking Terrace Marshall, you know, he was, he was third on the depth chart on LSU in 2019. And, you know, uh, Thaddeus Moss was getting some run there at tight end at LSU as well. So he was down on the depth chart, but you know, Justin Jefferson leaves, Jamar Chase opts out, Thaddeus Moss leaves for the NFL as well. Uh, Joe Burrow leaves. So LSU has some quarterback problems, but Terrace Marshall, he's still produced this year at, Louisiana State and he still had a good year so you know he was you know maybe he still produced as the number one guy when he was the number three or four guy a season ago so I think you know maybe he's not gonna be a number one wide receiver in the NFL but I think he's gonna be a really good number two wide receiver for some team whoever gets him late in the first early in the second round yeah I really like Rashad Bateman I mean he's a he's a big dude he's he's 6'2 209 pounds so you know he can he can play physically did a nice job with Minnesota, and um, I would expect him to to be a guy that maybe in like short yard or short yard situations, he runs an out route and, and gets you what you need, or uh, you know goes over the middle and, and catches there. But I I like all these guys here. Uh, Kadarius Tony, if he can stay healthy, I mean that's that's the only thing with him. 
Rondell Moore had a kind of weird year at Purdue, but I mean, everybody had a weird year with COVID. So I'm willing to, you know, kind of write some of that off um, for him just because, uh, you know, unlike running back and, and quarterback and offensive line, you, you really need your, well, you need teams to be good no matter what, but out the wide receiver position, the only way to get the ball is if, you know, your offensive line blocks well for your running back, if the running game is set up well and, and yada, yada, yada. And and I know you can say this technically for everywhere, but I just see it being more a point of emphasis for these guys uh, that are pass catchers. But yeah, I it takes until like I really look at this list for me to sit and think like, wow, this could even be deeper than last year's wide receiver class, Caleb. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, I'll point out a little bit. Kadarius Tony, he worries me a little bit. You know, we've seen small, shifty guys like him work out. And someone like Percy Harvin, he had his off the field issues. He had some injury issues, but um, when he touched the ball, he was electric. But then you have guys kind of like a Tavon Austin, who was drafted top ten overall, and he turned out to be more of a bust player. You know, he's great in space, but you find out in the NFL, you don't have quite as much time in space as you do in college football. So. Uh, yeah, I think Kadarius Tony's a boomer bust player. And when you have so many other, I think, more sure wide receivers in this list, I think I would take Rondale Moore, Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, maybe even some mm-hmm. of these lower guys, Eli Moore out of Ole Miss, ahead of someone like Kadarius Tony. You know, maybe he works out Kadarius Tony, some, something like a Tyreek Hill, but Tyreek Hill has, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL right now, Patrick Mahomes thrown to him. So. I think you kind of need that situation for Kadarius Tony to work out. And to me, it's mm-hmm. a little too risky. Some other uh, quality of wide receivers that we're seeing. You said one, uh, Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss, Amari Rogers, Clemson, Tutu Atwell out of Louisville, Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan, Diami Brown out of UNC, Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State, Amon Ross, St. Brown out of USC, Nico Collins out of Michigan, Seth Williams out of Auburn, She Smith, out of South Carolina, Demetric Felton out of UCLA, Sage Surratt at Wake Forest, and Amir Smith-Marset out of Iowa. I'm going to ask you to pick two of these guys, Caleb. Which two are you picking? Um, I'll start with the team that I you know, followed this year. I'll go with UNC, Diami Brown. I think he's got some big play potential for no matter where he goes. Again, he's not going to be a number one wide receiver, but if he's your number two, number three wide receiver mm-hmm. – you know, he can break off some big plays. You know, he had he obviously had a good quarterback in Sam Howell throwing him the ball, but I think he's a big playmaker for whichever team will draft him. I'll go with Amon Ra, St. Brown out of USC. We've seen USC produce some good wide receivers the past decade or so. Um, his brother is Equinemius St. Brown on the Packers. He's been, you know, just an okay wide receiver, but I think Amon Ra is going to be even better than him, you know, Maybe not quite as good as a Juju Smith-Schuster, but I think he, he'll be a quality wide receiver, again, a number two or number three receiver for whichever team drafts him. How about you? Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm also a big Diami Brown fan in, in this case, and I'm with you. I think he's going to be a really good number two for a team. I am hearing Dwayne Eskridge a lot more frequently, and so you know that leads me to think that he's going to have a pretty good career. But the, the other guy that I'm going to pick outside of Diami Brown is Tutu Atwell. I think he's a fast guy. He has great hands. I I see him coming in and being almost like a um, like I don't want to say Brandon Cooks because I'll be honest with you, Caleb. I, I frequently think Brandon Cooks is an overrated player, um, but just 
just his speed and his hands combined together lead me to believe that he will be dangerous. And uh, and he is he does a nice job at uh, you know obviously getting off the ball with that speed, but then does a good job with height to be able to to grab it and bring it down as well. Tutu Atwell is somebody that I'm hearing more and more people talk about, and I'm glad. You know we we saw him a lot, um, or we saw his his name under the highlights a lot in college this past season. I think that uh, I think that his upside can really give a team that that burst that they need a team like, like I wouldn't send them to, to Baltimore. I know that the Ravens are looking for, you know, wide receivers. I don't think Tutu Atwell is that number one that you need for that position. I think that guys like, I think guys like, uh, honestly, the first three we talked about Smith, Chase Waddle are, are probably your number one guys, but I can see Tutu Atwell fitting in at some other places. You know, if, if he gets into Denver and he's there with, you know, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and Tutu Atwell. That's terrifying to me. If you're a team like uh, Caleb, let's look at your boys, the Rams, and you got Matthew Stafford. Let's surround him with more weapons because Sean McVay loves to do that. I think Tutu Atwell could be a really solid contributor there. If the Philadelphia Eagles can ever find a number one wide receiver, Tutu Atwell seems like he would fit in well based on the current makeup of that team, but we don't know what Nick Sirianni is going to do with them. Um, ultimately, I think I would like Tutu Atwell somewhere like, uh, almost somewhere like in Indianapolis with the Colts. You know, you got T.Y. Hilton as an established number one guy. He's a little older, but he's still established. You got Tutu Atwell with the speed and that Carson Wentz can utilize. Um, and I feel like I'm spending a lot of time talking about him and, and, Honestly, it's because I, I think that he will be – he has the potential to be the steel wide receiver of the draft. It kind of reminds me of like a, a Deion Johnson, if you would, or Deontay Johnson. Yeah, I like I like Tutu Atwell. And again, that's kind of why I'm a little more down on Kadarius Tony. I feel like Tutu Atwell is a very similar player. I don't think he's mm-hmm. quite as good as Kadarius Tony is, but if you get Tutu Atwell around, round and a half later than Kadarius Tony, I think you're getting a much better value on your draft return there. Yeah. Outside of Pitts and Fryermuth at a tight end, we got just a few guys. Brevin Jordan out of Miami, Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame, Hunter Long out of Boston College, and Kenny Yaboa out of Ole Miss. I'll be honest, none of them really interest me, Caleb. If you don't get Pitts or Fryermuth and you can hold off a year, don't draft a don't draft a tight end. Yeah. Uh, I've heard some people like Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame. He uh Notre Dame didn't really use their tight ends as much so you know they think if they get him the ball a little bit more in the nfl maybe he can turn out to be something kenny yabo had some pretty good games at old miss um with their pass heavy pass attack there that old miss uh tried this season this past season so these guys i think could be something but yeah i think they're more maybe a number two tight end on uh on most teams and I think a lot of them, especially guys like Brevin Jordan, Kenny Yaboa, are more pass-catching tight ends that probably aren't going to help you too much in the blocking game. Yeah. On the offensive line, um, specifically whenever we look at some of the tackles here, we got Penne Sewell at Oregon, definitely going to be a top-10 pick. Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, he uh, opted out. This past season, Christian Darisaw out of Virginia Tech, who is rising up the board more and more. Elijah Vera Tucker, another one that's rising and rising there. A lot of good choices there. Now, in 2020, it was definitely top-heavy. 
you picked those guys and you waited forever. This year, you can find talent at the offensive line at a lot of levels, which is good because a lot of teams in the NFL need offensive line help this year especially. Um, whenever it comes to the interior, you got Landon Dickerson out of Alabama and Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma as the top interior offensive lineman. Outside of, of Panay Sewell, Caleb, I really like Rashawn Slater. I think that he is he's a guy – uh, my understanding is that he can play either left or right tackle, so that versatility has to be attractive for uh, for a team, assuming he plays both well. And um, you know, he he did it at a top notch level. I think before he, you know, set out this season, and I know Panay Sewell did as well. I think there was some serious conversation about who should be number one. I, I think Sewell had a better pro day and solidified himself there, but. You know, Slater, it's it's not like it's a huge downgrade if you get him over Sewell. No, I don't think so either. Um, I've seen some people say, maybe at least on the betting market, it's a good value to take Rashawn Slater as the first offensive lineman drafted over Penny Sewell. But I think Sewell is probably going to go first. Yeah, both obviously mm-hmm. opted out this year. Both, I think, can play yeah, either left tackle or right tackle. I'm like an Elijah Vera Tucker. He played tackle at USC. Um, I think they're expecting him to play more of a guard at the, at the NFL level. But if you played tackle at a big time school like USC, I think you can play it in the NFL as well if need be. So, yeah, he uh, USC had a had a lineman go in the first round of the draft last year too. So he was able to more uh, get Elijah Vera Tucker here was able to get some more playing time this year at USC at the left tackle position. So I think that's why he's uh, maybe a little more versatile than some of, even some of these other players. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the defensive line, there are no elite, so no top five, no top ten picks or talents for this year at the edge position. Well, let's go ahead. Let's look at uh, at the players. You got Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, Quiddy Pay out of Michigan, Jalen Phillips out of Miami. Those are, are typically toward the top. I think Jalen Phillips edges out most of them, but uh, the list below them, you got Jason Owe out of Penn State, Gregory Rousseau out of Miami, which is surprising, you know, for a while he was considered to be the top guy before opting out. And then, you know, guys like Jalen Phillips stepped in and uh, and did a great job with their production. Carlos uh, Basham out of, out of Wake Forest, Joseph Osai out of Texas, uh, Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. And, and they're in that next in that next tier. Caleb, let's let's look at these edge guys before we look at defensive tackles. Uh, I know Jalen Phillips is seen by a lot as the best. I I also like Quiddy Pay. Uh, I think that he is a is a disruptor and did a nice job at that with the Wolverines. And I could see him converting that. Michigan has produced a lot of good defensive players recently. You know, you look at Josh Uche. You look at uh, uh, geez Louise Jay uh, Clay Matthews Jr. I I see him being next on that list. Yeah, I'm liking Quiddy Pay. The more and more I've looked at these lists and looked at how. They've uh, looked at these players and studied these players. I'm thinking Quidipay is going to end up being the best one of the bunch. But, like, yeah, there's no real consensus on who the top player is. I've seen Ojolari, number one. I've seen Pay number one. I've seen Jalen Phillips, number one. I've seen Gregory Rousseau, number one. You know, a lot of guys like Jason Owe with the talent that he, you know, they want to unlock his potential. So, you know, yeah, I think any of those five guys, maybe even some of these other guys that you mentioned could be the best edge rusher out of this class. But yeah, the more and more I've thought about it, I think in Quiddy pay would be my pick. If I was looking for edge rusher in this draft class. 
Uh, on the interior, or specifically the D-tackle position, Christian Barmore out of Alabama, probably the only guy that could merit a first-round pick at that position uh, from from what I am hearing from uh, NFL draft experts, what I'm hearing and seeing. Levi Onwuzurike. Uh, I can't say it right, Kill. How, how is it pronounced, you know? It sounded pretty good, Onwuzurike, I think, yeah. Yeah. Out of Washington. Uh, Davion Nixon out of Iowa. And Tommy uh, Tagaya out of Ohio State. So, again, Kale, I think Christian Barmore is probably the only first-round pick here. Um, I can't, and, I, and honestly, I can't think of any other defensive tackles that stood out to me this past season. Yeah, Tommy Togiai uh, disrupted Penn State big time. I think he had three sacks or something like that against Penn State this mm-hmm. year. So I think he has a chance to be, you know, you know, if anyone kind of upsets Christian Barmore as the top defensive tackle in this class, I think maybe Togiai has the best chance. But Washington has a good defense. Davion Nixon had a great year at Iowa. So these guys are going to be solid players at the next level, most of them, if not all of them. But, uh, yeah, like you said, Barmore is probably the only one that goes in the first round, if any of them do. Yeah. So looking at linebackers now, we got Micah Parsons, who we are already talked about, uh, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa from Notre Dame, Zaven Collins out of Tulsa, who uh, also brought home some hardware. They are all the potential first-round picks as of right now. As you look later down the draft, you got Jabril Cox out of LSU, Baron Browning out of Ohio State, former quarterback, converted linebacker, Chasserat out of North Carolina, and Dylan Moses out of Alabama. Uh, and then, obviously, we are hearing after a monster pro day, Jameen Davis out of Kentucky flying up draft boards. Caleb, you know, I know you're of the opinion that uh, he could very – he is, is likely going to be overrated. Um, is there a guy outside of the uh, top three of Parsons, Owosu, Kormo, and Collins that, that you really like? I like Jabril Cox. Some people said he's a better, court, better linebacker than uh, Patrick Queen was coming out of – LSU mm. last year. He was a first-round pick, went to the Baltimore Ravens. I think he had a good first month or so, but then teams started yeah. picking on him as a as a pass defender, and he was not up to the task. Some people say Jabril Cox is better as a, a pass defender than Patrick Queen was, and you know Jabril Cox is looking more like a round two or three, maybe even fourth-round pick, and Patrick Queen snuck in there as a first-round pick, and Jabril Cox may be the better player out of the two coming from the same school. Yeah. I like Dylan Moses. I think that he, you know, leading that Alabama defense, he he was the leader of it. He can play the run. He can play the pass. Um, little surprise that he is being considered later. But uh, again, I think that speaks to the, the general depth at positions this year. I think he'll be a guy that uh, you draft him in one of the later rounds and, and you get a really nice uh, contributor at first, but ultimately a, a starter and, and probably like one of those team captain producer types uh and in the secondary we got caleb farley out of virginia tech patrick satan the second out of alabama jc horn out of south carolina greg newsom out of northwestern they're at the top of the class caleb pick one i'm gonna go with caleb farley he has some uh health concerns and you know health uh you know all these health screenings haven't been quite as prominent because you know there's no uh nfl scouting combine this year so i think his injury concerns are you know a little raised compared to normal but i think caleb farley has the highest potential here he was a quarterback in high school his uh first game they transferred him to cornerback 
Virginia Tech did in college, and they played Florida State, and he intercepted the first pass thrown to him. He had two interceptions in the game, and, you know, I don't, it wasn't Jameis Winston at the time. I forget who the quarterback was in that Florida State game. And, you know, not a great team Florida State is anymore, but it's still Florida State, still an FBS Power 5 program. It's not like they went out and got, you know, two interceptions off against Southeast Missouri State or something like that. But um, so I think he's definitely got some potential. He's kind of – I'd say he's – almost like the Micah Parsons of the cornerback class. He's still learning mm-hmm. the position. I think he's got unlimited potential. And as long as he stays healthy, I, I think he'll be the best cornerback of this class. Yeah, I think it might have been DeAndre Francois, who was the quarterback at Florida State. Yeah, probably. Um, and, and yeah, you said it perfectly. So I'm not going to say uh, anything else because I would go Farley as well. The next group, you got Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State. Afiti Melifonwu out of Syracuse uh, and Elijah Molden out of Washington. I am very intrigued by Asante Samuel jr. You know, aside from the fact that he has that he has name brand recognition because of his dad, uh, you know, he, he did well for the Seminoles and uh, I would expect that to continue in the pros as well. Again, I don't think he's a right away kind of guy, but uh, definitely somebody that I'm, I'm going to have my eye on. Yeah, I like Bell and Fonwu here out of Syracuse. His brother was drafted a couple years ago. He had a freakish pro day. He was breaking, you know, uh, broad jump records and, you know, all these different kind of records for Syracuse. And But he didn't really have the tape to match it. And then I think he ended up going too high and hasn't really produced in the NFL. Uh, Ifeatu here, he's has the much better tape, much better film. Not quite as freakish of an athlete, so – but – you know, maybe his brother kind of hurt his draft status, but I think he's going to be a steal here in the second or third round, wherever he gets drafted. Mm-hmm. Safety position this year, not looking like uh, it's anything to sneeze at. You got Trayvon Moore, I got a TCU, Richie Grant out of Central Florida, but but really nobody that makes me think, oh, I got to have that guy on my team. Uh, and so, Caleb, if you're willing to, let's go ahead and skip them and just jump into special teams. Okay. Okay, so uh, we got some good kicker options here. Evan McPherson out of Florida, Jose Borregales out of Miami, Florida, Blake Heibel out of Ohio State, and Quinn Norton out of Michigan. All right, be uh, be Matt Light, Kale. Pick a kicker in the in the second round. Which one are you going for? Um, I will go with Jose Borregales out of Miami, Florida. I think he won the um, the award for best kicker Rosa. in college this year. So the yeah, the the Rosa Award. So I'll take him. Yeah, I am as well. Uh, did some nice job making some pretty clutch kicks and uh, definitely has the range there, so I like him. At punter, you got Max Duffy from Kentucky and James Smith out of Cincinnati. Max Duffy, definitely the the best on the list. Uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll be a, you know, interested to see. Let's, let's do a quick over-under, Caleb. Um, over-under... Over under two and a half special teamers get drafted. I'll say over. I think uh, I think we'll get at least two kickers, and then I'll say another kicker or punter gets drafted. So I'll say at least three special teamers get drafted. I like it. All right, let's go ahead. Let's start looking at uh, some other news, um, and let's look and specifically target the draft here as we begin to wrap up the show. We we hope people enjoyed our uh, our little prospect breakdown there. First of all, there were a bunch of wild, crazy trades that had a lot of people scratching heads. Other people were like, oh, this is brilliant. Uh, you had Miami making trades, San Francisco making trades, Philly making trades. And for all we know, 
trades can still happen. Um, is there one that you like more or one that you like less than the others, Caleb? Um, I like Philadelphia out of this. There's technically two different trades. Some considered the three-team trade here. Um, you give, um, you, you know, you get one more shot here. Um, what's his quarterback's mm-hmm. name? I, I'm blanking on the quarterback's name for the Oh, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, yeah. You give Jalen Hurts one year here, you know. You're not giving him a great chance. You know, you trade it back from 6 to 12, but you get that extra first-round pick now next year. You know, maybe a wide receiver. Maybe I've seen a lot of Devontae Smith fall into number 12, so maybe you get Devontae Smith still here at number 12 for the draft. If not, maybe get a cornerback or something like that to help solidify the defense. The defense for the Eagles isn't great. But if, yeah, if Jalen Hurts doesn't pan out for the Philadelphia, you know, you're probably going to have a top three pick next year with your own pick. So you can draft your quarterback next year, whether that's Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, or someone else that comes out of nowhere, which seems to happen every single year. And then you get Miami first round pick, which is, you know, probably be in the middle somewhere, maybe in the twenties, maybe the Dolphins make the playoffs again next season. So you get an, and then, so you get some help next year to whoever your quarterback is going to be. And if for some reason, you know, Jalen Hurts is good enough, but not great. And you fall to the, you know, maybe your number 10 or something like that. Then you have that extra ammo to move up into the draft next year. If you want to move up and take a quarterback and you still want that quarterback in your Jalen Hurts is a little too good for what you wanted to do this, this upcoming season. Yeah. Um, at first I was hating the Philadelphia trade and I'm still not like going to mark it as a sign of, uh, Howie Roseman genius by any sort. I, I think that he's lost a lot of his uh, mojo as of late, but getting getting some more draft capital, I think is probably a wise decision. If he can get one of the three pass catchers at number 12, I, I think that if he whiffs on, uh, or of the, the top four, rather, if he doesn't get any of the top three wide receivers or pits, I mean, if I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I'm, I'm crying bloody murder. Um, Miami, I, I like what they're doing. I keep hearing people already done with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and I, I don't understand. Um, he is definitely a guy. He came in with a broken hip that had recovered. Of course, he's not going to be like the top-notch dude. I know people said, oh, like it's, it's back to normal. It's back to normal. Okay, that's great. It might be physically, but you know, injuries play a mental toll on you as well. And so it's going to take him some time to adjust. So I like that Miami's in a position to get Tua some weapons to help him out. And, um, yeah, it was a uh, – I love trades during the draft too, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what more occur and, and seeing these early ones. Uh, but one big trade that had happened before the draft was the question of Sam Darnold, former starting quarterback for the New York Jets. The winning team is the Panthers. The Panthers – uh, have sent the New York Jets a 2021 sixth rounder and a 2022 second and fourth rounder in exchange for Sam Darnold. I think that's right, Kill. Yeah, that's correct me if right. I'm wrong. But um, is there really a winner? I'll be honest. I do not think there is one. I think that the the Jets got what they needed. They need more draft capital to help out Zach Wilson. The Panthers get a quarterback that. I think still has a lot of gas in the tank and Matt rule can coach up and they didn't really give like, it's not like they, uh, they gave grandma's fine China away for him. Yeah. I like this. Um, you know, a lot of people, I still see a lot of people say that if Sam Darnold was in this draft class, he'd be the number two prospect. And I think I might take Justin Fields over him, but I can see, you know, him being the second or third best prospect in this draft. But we do have a sample size of him in the NFL and him being pretty bad in the NFL. You know, Mm -hmm. he has had, 
you know, unideal circumstances, uh, not really good offensive line, uh, not really good wide receivers and pass catchers to throw the ball to. But either way, he's still been, you know, probably the worst quarterback in the NFL over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. But um, so I think he still can succeed. But, you know, it's, the mounting evidence is that he's probably not going to be successful in the NFL. Panthers, yeah, you know, you get a first who was a first round pick, you get him for a second round pick and a couple later picks. So, and if he doesn't work out, you know, you maybe a quarterback falls to the Panthers number eight, and you and you get a chance there with him. If not, you know, maybe you're back in the top ten, top five next year, and you can try again next year with a pick like that. And for the Jets, you know, you get to reset. Um, you know, Sam Darnold hasn't been good, and maybe he will turn out to be good. But now you get to, you know, you get to reset the quarterback. Uh, wage scale that you're getting with the number two overall pick will cost less. You know, Zach Wilson will cost less than Sam Darnold over the next few years. And so, you know, now you get to surround him with some talent, hopefully with they have another first round pick because of the uh, trade with the Seahawks. They have, I think two second round picks. They have another first, they have extra first round picks next year. And like you said, they picked up a second rounder with this trade for Sam Darnold. So they have a lot of early picks in the next couple of years. And if they hit on a lot of these, um, you know, I think the Jets can be relevant in, you know, two to three seasons. Yeah. And I mean, they finally have a, a front office and Joe Douglas that that seems to know what he's doing. You know, I think it's 22 picks over the next two years. And then uh, Robert Sala, who by all accounts seems like he's going to do uh, some good stuff there. I mean, he, he's definitely going to be better than Adam Gase. So uh, there's that. Now uh, it's assumed right now that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three. Uh, and then at number four is Atlanta, which is a very intriguing opportunity for them. Um, Matt Ryan's 35 years old. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks as of late play deep into their 30s, some into their early 40s. You know, you think of uh, Brady and Breeze on, on that account. So you could very well draft him another strong weapon. I mean, you have a phenomenal wide receiver duo whenever uh, – Julio Jones is healthy. He's great. You got Calvin Ridley, who is also very talented. What you could do is get Kyle Pitts here and make your receiving core absolutely deadly. Or you can play the long game here and you could draft a potential replacement for Matt Ryan. Caleb, be the GM here. Who are you going with? I'm going with Kyle Pitts if I'm if I'm sticking at number four. I'm, I'd consider a trade, especially if you get overwhelmed with a compensation. But if mm-hmm. I'm sticking at number four, I think I'm going to take Kyle Pitts, try to score, you know, 35 points a game or whatever it's going to take. You know, the defense might not be great next year for Atlanta, but you brought in Arthur Smith, who's an offensive guru. He's uh, taken the Titans, made Ryan Tannehill really good, made Derrick Henry. You know, he ran for 2,000 yards this past year. So I think if you give Matt Ryan – like you said, he's 35. Really, that's only 35 in quarterback terms mm-hmm. because you never, you know, he could play for another five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. And, you know, you can't never doubt Tom Brady, but it's likely he probably only has a couple more years left. So the NFC South might be there for the taking. Drew Brees just retired. The Panthers mm-hmm. are in this kind of weird spot. You know, they're probably not going to be good for, you know, another year or two at least. Atlanta, if they get their offense turned around and they make their defense mediocre, I think they could be fighting for a playoff spot this year if Matt Ryan stays healthy and he's stayed healthy most of his career. Yeah. At number five, we have Cincinnati. And, uh, Caleb, they're also in a – in an interesting predicament for them uh, where they could very well grab the top offensive line recruit 
and one of the top pass catchers. BYGM again, who are you picking? Um, I think for them, and it's kind of like a unique year, I think I'd just take Jamar Chase. He worked so well with Joe with uh with joe burrow down at lsu in 2019 why can't it work again here in cincinnati cincinnati doesn't have a terrible offensive line they just drafted a offensive lineman in the first round i think a couple seasons ago i know you know joe burrow was running around a lot recently but i think if you get him a true number one wide receiver um i think they have some other good complimentary wide receivers um they got a slot receiver um they took the wide receiver out of Clemson last year. I think he's more of a number two receiver. So I think you got some I think you got some good pieces in place. But if you get Joe Burrow number one wide receiver, one he's had connections with in the past. And I feel like we kind of always say these things oh get the guy, get the guy you know he played with in college and they match up perfectly. But I think, you know, you have this rare case where I think it might actually work in this case for Joe Burrow for Jamar Chase for the Cincinnati Bengals to have a couple of guys from the LSU Tigers. Yeah, at first I was thinking, you know, get Joe Burrow some weapons. And then when they did the jersey reveal and they had Joe Burrow's, like, massive scar on his leg, I was like, no, 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 get him offensive line. Um, But I am trending back toward getting him a pass catcher simply because at that position, uh, Cincinnati needs a number one wide receiver. No question. And as I said earlier – while the wide receiver class is deep, there's only a there's there's a very small set of true number one wide receivers. Chase Smith Waddle. Get one of those guys. The offensive line is deep the whole way through. So you, you got a lot of potential. Again, a guy like Rashawn Slater could conceivably be there. Darasaw could be there whenever I'm talking about since he's second round picks. So um I think you can get a good pass catcher here and then build the offensive lineup with guys that could be first round picks could be the top half of first round picks in like any other year. All right. Um, and then Caleb, you know, just for fun, you are a, uh, an LA Rams fan. I am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. So let's, uh, let's close out with, uh, some picks first. Let's, uh, let's start with the Rams, Caleb. Who are you thinking the Rams will pick up first? I know they don't pick in the first round, but, uh, you know, they, they got some, uh, they do eventually get the pick. Yeah, the Rams don't pick to number 57. Uh, if I had to bet, I think they're going to trade out of that pick, trade back. They only have six picks in this year's draft, so they can trade back, you know, five, ten spots, something like that, pick up an extra, even if it's an extra, like, sixth-round pick or something like that. I think that's something the Rams will try to do. But if they stay at 57, I'm going to go with someone we talked about earlier, Ifatu Melanfanwu out of Syracuse, I think. Uh, the Rams lost Troy Hill to the Cleveland Browns in free agency. So I think they could use a, another cornerback there. I know they have Jalen Ramsey, who's great. I know they have Darius Williams, who is, who's great as well. Um, they took David Long out of Michigan a year or two ago. And I think he can be like a slot receiver or slot cornerback, sorry, that can uh, line up yeah, line up there in the slot. But they like to move Jalen Ramsey around a lot as well. So if they can get a guy who can cover more of the outside, because Troy Hill could – be, was more of an outside cornerback uh, as long with Darius Williams. So if you want to move Jalen Ramsey to the inside a little bit more, you need an, a, another outside cornerback. And I think Melifonwu can be that kind of person, whereas David Long can't be. So um, it's not like a need maybe per se in a starter position for the Rams, but I think it's uh, something they, they, that they could use for the depth of their defense. Yeah. I mean, put him there with Jalen Ramsey and, uh, 
you can you can have a very very potent secondary for sure. Uh, for the Steelers, I I think they need they they need help at a couple positions. They need help at offensive line, but they really need help whenever it comes to the running back position. I mean it 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 makes me sad as a uh, as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and and who recalls the days and, and I recognize there are fans that are thinking of like the Rocky Blyer Franco Harris days. Uh, that is far before my time. I'm thinking of Jerome Bettis and Willie Parker, the good running backs, uh, the good running back duo there. Um, and I, I'm thinking of the uh, couple good seasons that we had with uh, Le'Veon Bell before he kind of fell off the face of the earth. And I want a good running game. And I think that starts with having a really high quality running back. And I think Travis Etienne is the dude for him. I think he fits with the offensive scheme. Uh, that Matt Canada is going to set up for Ben Roethlisberger and for the eventual Roethlisberger successor. I think he fits in well with the wide receiver core, the extent that he'll be a good pass catcher, and I think he can do enough in pass blocking. Uh, and like I said earlier, the offensive line position is deep enough. I think that they can get somebody uh, later in the draft to address those needs and be high-quality starters, like what they did with Zach Banner, a name that I mentioned earlier. Uh, like with Alejandro Villanueva. I know people give him a lot of crud, but for a while he was a top-notch uh, left tackle. So uh, we'll see what ultimately ends up happening here. That's the beauty of the draft. And, uh, you know, Caleb, we've been talking about the NFL draft and news for about an hour and a half. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and and thank our listeners and say, you know, really appreciate you taking some time to listen to the show. We hope that you uh, have enjoyed what you've heard. If you do like what you heard, we hope that you will uh, hit subscribe. That way you get alerts anytime new podcast episodes come out and uh, share it with your friends. You know, we, we love to talk about college football. So feel free to connect with us on Twitter at CPFB podcast or, uh, you know, just by uh, by word of mouth with uh, with your friends. Caleb, any final words of wisdom before we sign off? Ta 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 ta.